Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of NannyCast. If you're listening to us, you're missing out on the show notes and more, which can be found on our website at nannycast.com. We love it when you promote us by giving us a great rating on Stitcher, blogging about us, or tweeting about us. If you want to go one step further, head on over to our website at nannycast.com and click support us. And welcome to another fun and exciting episode of NannyCast. As with all other financial or legal episodes of NannyCast, this episode is only relevant to nannies living and working in the United States of America. If you are a nanny living or working elsewhere, we'll see you on the next episode. For everyone else, my American nannies, welcome. Aside from getting cash in our paychecks, we can also be compensated through something called a fringe benefit. Fringe benefits are non-cash things, which we earn through our labor, that aren't always subject to income taxes. They exist to bridge the gap when an employer doesn't have a lot of extra cash, but wishes to give us performance bonuses or to make the job more attractive. I've received cell phone service that saved me almost $100 a month, take-home dinners that saved me $200 a month in my food budget, extra paid time off for travel, airline miles that saved me thousands in plane tickets, which I didn't need to buy, and museum memberships in my name which means I could use them for adult programming when off the clock. And so much more throughout my career, as my employers looked for creative ways to honor my economic value while also not overextending their budget. Today's audio comes from a webinar that was aimed at human resources directors about fringe benefits at the corporate level. But as we discussed in NannyCast episodes 12, 13, and 14, which can all be found over at nannycast.com, we have to be our own human resources departments, and thus we are our own human resources managers. And surprisingly, what is applicable in the corporate world is also applicable in the domestic employee world. So this means that next time your bosses counter your raise request with something a bit smaller than you'd prefer, ask them if they can offer you some fringe benefits to help the money you do earn go further. In addition, this episode will help you understand if what they are offering you might be taxable on its cash value, or if the fringe benefit can be offered tax-free. No one wants to be audited, so while employers should know, or learn, their mistake can lead to burdensome paperwork for us, too. So knowing allows us to be a double-check against any mistakes. And without further ado, we begin by meeting our presenters. Our presenters today are BKD partner Paige Garrich and senior manager Jeanette Varelli. Paige has more than 30 years of experience Jeanette has more than 12 years of experience providing tax services. We begin with Paige. Fringe benefits are often overlooked, and they are also an area of focus for the IRS. Fringe benefits are top, front, and center for the IRS folks in looking at whether or not we've reported them correctly and we've taxed W-2s correctly for our employees. Because if we fail to report a fringe benefit correctly, then we could have an automatic excess benefit transaction. And there's really some hefty penalties associated with that. So there's some common reasons why fringe benefits are so difficult to report and why the IRS continues to focus on them. First, they're difficult in identifying. They're difficult in valuing. And there's often a lot of uncertainty on whether or not the item should be reported in the employee's W-2 or not. So first, just think about this. 
If the IRS doesn't specifically exclude an item from income, if you can't find an exclusion that specifically says you do not need to add this to an employee's taxable income, then we need to add it to their income. This means that as a rule of thumb, if the IRS doesn't specifically say that something is not taxed, then its cash value needs to be added to our taxable income when calculating our tax withholding, our tax liability, and the amount of FICA we pay. This means that the total money listed in our W-2s that our employers give to us on January 31st might be higher than the actual money we received in our bank account because we listened to Spotify rather than having $20 in our bank account that month. But it nonetheless is taxable as if we were given $20 into our bank accounts to buy our own Spotify membership with. The good news is that there are fringe benefits that are excluded from being counted as taxable income under something from the IRS called Section 132. They don't end up in our W-2s. These are the ones we want and should advocate for. Jeanette will lead us through those fringe benefits. So the first is the no additional cost benefits exclusion, and this deals with services. So if you have services that are provided by the employer to an employee, that employee benefit would be excludable from income. If the service is offered for sale to the employer customer in the ordinary course of business, as well as that employer does not incur a substantial additional cost in providing this service. The employer is simply just offering the same service to the employee that they offer to their customers. They haven't gone out of their way to create and offer any new service. And so in most of these examples, you're not incurring any additional costs, and that's what's allowing it to be excluded. So if you work for a family that has a rental mountain house, as my colleague Nanny Kay did... The family can provide you with a few weekends or a week of use in the mountain house as part of the nanny's compensation package, which allows for an amazing vacation without having to shell out a lot of money or pay the income taxes for that lot of money Nanny K wasn't shelling out. But there may be some scenarios where you have to look a little further. So say you are a hotel and you you would have given that hotel room to the employee anyway, regardless. You're probably okay if maybe you were only at half capacity. But what if the hotel has a large event in town and so there's a high demand for those rooms, but you decide to give the employee the room for free instead of giving it to a customer? Then you do have that scenario where you're looking at foregone revenue and is that benefit now taxable to the employee? But this means that in order not to have to pay the income taxes on her mountain house vacation, Nanny Kay needs to go only during low demand, low season times, which okay, is cheaper to travel than anyway, so bring it on. Another exclusion is employee discounts. So employee discounts would be scenarios where you have a discount for a qualified property or service, and then there are some limitations for those. So what is qualified property or services? That would be any property other than real property or property held for investment or services, which are offered to your customers in the ordinary course of business. So in the case of services, your maximum discount is 20% of the price for that service to customers, as well as um, you have a limit on property. So that discount would be the maximum discount at the employer's gross profit percentage of the price for a product that's given or that property that's given to the customer. So some examples of employee discounts would be manufacturers who are providing their products to employees at cost or employee discounts at cafeterias, bookstores, any kind of retail establishment, as well as medical doctors could possibly give reduced rates to employees. So if you work for a dentist, as my colleague Nanny L. did, the dentist can provide reduced-cost dental care to Nanny L. as part of her compensation package, 
which saved her hundreds of dollars out of pocket and the taxes she didn't have to pay on hundreds of dollars of income because Nanny L's dentist employer provides dental care to customers already. Same with any other service provider, doctor, hairstylist, physical therapist, and the list can go on. The maximum tax-free value is, according to Jeanette, only 20% of the cost. So you'll still be paying 80% of the cost out of pocket. Or paying income taxes on the gifted 80% of the cost. Which is still cheaper than actually paying the remaining 80% of the cost. You feel me? So the next exclusion I want to talk about is working condition fringe benefits. For this exclusion, the entire value of the property is excludable from income if the employee had paid for that property or service themselves. So kind of think of it as this is just a regular business expense. If they were an itemizer on their 1040, they would be taking this as an unreimbursed business expense. So it's something that they have to incur just to do their job. So some examples of those working condition fringe benefits are subscriptions to business periodicals that you use in your line of work, business use of your car, meals travel reimbursement, and the like. This is the one that allows employers to include professional development funds in our compensation packages without us having to pay income tax on them. It's what allows us to eat at work for free and to have them cover our admission to museums and other things we absolutely have to do in order to do our jobs. This is why the IRS reimbursement rate of using our private cars or the providing of a nanny car are tax-free. And this is what enables me to have a museum membership. For nannies, these are a lot of the fringe benefits already built in rather than added on top as an extra incentive. However, if you have a family that requires you to be reachable at all times by phone or to send photos at times you might not have Wi-Fi and thus need a data plan, this is also the exclusion that allows them to cover your phone plan, one that meets your employer's needs without you having to pay income tax on that benefit. Another exclusion is de minimis benefits. So the de minimis benefits exclusion is you can exclude the value of de minimis benefits from the wages. If it's so little value, it's so impractical to account for it that it's just inefficient. And so you're giving something of so little value that it's just impractical to account for it. There is not a de minimis limit given to you in the Internal Revenue Code. So it's going to be specific to your organization. You know, what do you feel comfortable with? in determining what that de minimis threshold is. De minimis rules would not apply to your cash and cash equivalents and then your membership in private country clubs or athletic facilities as well. So those don't fall under those de minimis rules. So examples of de minimis benefits would be your employee holiday party, maybe some holiday gifts other than cash, company picnics, the coffee and donuts in your break room, and occasional personal use of the copy machine are some just simple examples of what, what de minimis benefits are available and what fall under that exclusion. We have already discussed these de minimis benefits in episode 45 on holiday bonuses or holiday gifts. You can find that episode over at nannycast.com and search for nannycast45. So there also are some exclusions related to transportation. So you can provide one of these or many of these to the employee. For example, you have transit passes that can be provided. That would be for mass transit like buses and trains. Qualified parking, but that parking would need to be on or near the business premises. As well as if you were bicycle commuting, you could have an exclusion for the bicycle expenses, kind of if you had to repair your bike as well as purchase bike. So there are some limits related to these. These limits are calculated on a monthly basis. You cannot carry afford the excess from month to month. 
And then these amounts for these different benefits are indexed for inflation. So this is a big one. And she ends with a warning that there are limits on how much money each of these can be worth. So do check the latest IRS guidance if you're going to go with one of these fringe benefits. But each of these talks about how we get to work. Our employers can get us monthly transit passes, pay for our parking if we drive in and there's only paid parking available in order to do our work. And our employers could buy us bicycles and pay for the bicycle maintenance so that we could bicycle commute to our jobs. A colleague of mine, Nanny S., used to care for a very small baby in a downtown high-rise whose only parking was in a paid garage. And she was given the fringe benefit of parking in order to arrive at and do her job. I have bicycle commuted to work, and I'm only now, while researching this podcast, realizing that I could have asked for a maintenance budget for my bicycle, and I had to have tube service on it quite a few times in service of my commute. There's also an exclusion related to moving expenses. So these reimbursements would be excluded from income if the expenses are paid or incurred in connection with commencement of work in this new principal place of work. And in that case, you would have to have two conditions that you meet to allow these expenses to be excluded from income. You have the distance test where the new job location is going to be at least 50 miles further from your old home than your old job location was. And then you have a second condition that's the time test where the employee it must be working at least 39 weeks during the first 12 months of arriving at that new job location. So if you meet these two tests, then you possibly can exclude your moving expenses. This is a good one for taking a job out of state and having the new employer sweeten the deal to get you to accept the job. They can pay your moving expenses, saving you a bundle, and it won't count as taxable income as that part of your compensation package. Don't take jobs that require moving without it. Also, if your employer moves and asks you to come with them to their new location once again, don't move without them covering your moving expenses, as this is a tax-free fringe benefit available to you. So there is an exclusion for qualified retirement planning. This is really kind of a very specific scenario where you would have an exclusion for maybe if you're providing them information about the plan or just giving them general advice about retirement planning. It would not include things like tax prep, accounting, legal fees. And then obviously this one still falls under the non-discrimination rules. So you wouldn't be able to apply this to one specific group of employees. It would need to be applicable or available to all employees to qualify. Retirement is far off in the future, but our employers can help us create and contribute to a fund or can even start a retirement fund for us. And if they do, it is not taxable as income to us, so long as it's available to all of their employees. And all is an easy threshold to hit when we are the only domestic employee. Don't leave free future money on the table. So now that we know what the exclusions are, and we know that we need to assume that everything needs to be reported on someone's W-2 as income unless an exclusion applies, then how do we go about analyzing our fringe benefits to figure out what exactly needs to be reported and how it needs to be reported? So we suggest you go through four steps to overcome these difficulties and to figure out what should be put on an employee's W-2. First, you want to identify the fringe benefit. Start with the assumption that it's taxable, and then let's start working our way through those exclusions. Are there any exclusions that apply to this particular benefit? Do we meet those statutory definitions for the exclusions? Will all of the employees meet that definition of employee for that particular exclusion? 
Do we have special rules to consider? What amounts actually excluded? All of it? Part of it? And are there any limits to the types of benefits or employees that are afforded that particular exclusion? So at this point, if the answer isn't that this fringe benefit is excluded from being considered taxable income, you may wish to just have cash in your paycheck so as to purchase that service yourself if it's something you want. Because if you're going to be paying income tax on the cost anyway, maybe you want that money for something else. If you still want that fringe benefit anyway, even though it's taxable income and not an exclusion, please visit the show notes for this episode over at nannycast.com, this being episode 50, so that you can find the link to the entire talk and learn about how the income tax on that fringe benefit is calculated. And with that, happy compensation package. episode or, well, anything really, by visiting our website at nannycast.com and commenting on the episode. Click on the Contact Us link to submit episode ideas or leave more general feedback. Or get in touch on Twitter by sending out a tweet with the hashtag nannycast.